Um, I want to talk just in general about leadership and what leadership is. And, and part of the reason for this is I see a vacuum, not just in the church, but in society everywhere. There's a lack of good men. And uh, what did Edmund Burke famously say? The only thing necessary for evil to continue is for good men to do nothing or for evil to triumph. It's for good men to do nothing. And I think there's a lot of uh, evil triumphing. I saw that movie I mentioned before uh, this earlier this week. Um, uh, I'm trying to remember the name Sound of it. Of Sound of Freedom. Thank you. Uh, about the international sex trafficking uh, of children. And it's a really heavy movie. I recommend it. But uh, you know, the, what's the movie really about? It's a true story about a man who was a man. He was, he actually went in and rescued this little girl. It focuses on that one story, but he actually rescued hundreds of kids during the course of his career. He's still actually doing it. He's still, um, I don't know if he's in the jungles doing it, but he's at least in an organization that's doing it. And, you know, he has masculinity. He has traits that at one time were more common, but now, uh, not a lot of men would want to risk themselves, risk their lives, risk uh, risk whatever they have going on that, they're, that that gives them comfort, that gives them meaning or purpose or whatever. So, so anyway, that that's part of the reason I want to talk about this. I, I just felt like we, including myself, all could use a reminder about what leadership is. And I want to start with just a story, a, a personal story here, because I think this describes what we, the incorrect way. I, I generally start that way when I think through the correct way uh, to view something. I, I start with what's the incorrect way? What's the, the error that is commonly being made? So right now, um, I think that leadership has been reduced to just a surface level personality trait that one has. And I'll illustrate this. I think it's in the church as well. But in the business world, this is, of course, very common. Um, I remember a few years ago, I attended a weekend church planning assessment hosted by the North American Mission Board. For those who don't know, that's the um, church plant arm or missions arm of the Southern Baptists in the United States. So I, I went to this training. Someone invited me. And, uh, and that was the whole purpose was they were going to assess you to see, are you a good fit? Can you plant a church uh, with us? Uh, which means eventually you would be the pastor of, of this church. You would be leading it. And... Um, to my amazement, there wasn't a lot of scripture. In fact, I think the second morning, it was a weekend, so there's only like two days, but the, the, I guess it was the first morning, um, they, they did a devotional, a short devotional. And that's the only time I think I remember scripture really being brought up in this. The rest of it was focused on tasks that each of the candidates who were there were given. And it started off this way. Um, each participant had to identify their Myers-Briggs personality type. And uh, the idea was that personality traits complemented one another in ways that should influence people's role in team settings. So when you're going into a plan of church in an area, you want a team and you got to figure out who's going to play what role on the team. Um, it, it was interesting. Uh, we, we had a bunch of people from the Southern Baptist Convention watching us as they told us to do different tasks. And they were looking for who's going to emerge the leader, who's going to take, take these different roles. And then they did a personality assessment. And they, I remember they had each of us go to different corners of the room, uh, depending on what personality we had. And that was supposed to tell us something about whether we should be planting or if we were going to plant, what role we should have in that process. Uh, I wish that today it was better. I think it's worse now. Today, it's not Myers-Briggs, it's the Enneagram. <laughs> The Enneagram is, and I don't know if the Southern Baptists are using that. I know certain Southern Baptists are, but 
Uh, many evangelical organizations embrace the Enneagram to assist in leadership formation. Uh, and I could give you many examples, but that's not for today. Uh, this approach incorrectly assumes, I think, a modern impulse, though, that we all have to artificially produce things by tapping into the scientific recipe. So this is from, you think of like the, the mechanized approach to building a car, right, on an assembly line. Uh, this is industrial revolution stuff. We can cr create this amazing car by just getting all the component parts and, and implementing a process that will produce at the end of the line, we have a car and it works. And I think the same thing is, we, we think the same thing about leaders, that you can produce leadership. You can uh, put someone through a regimen, even in the church at seminary, but you put someone through this and at the end, they're going to be a leader because they have the correct components put into them. Um, and so I don't want to uh, treat this little time we have together this morning like a leadership class at a, se a seminary. I actually took one. Uh, where I didn't really learn much. It was all, um, it was all stuff you you weren't applying it. It was it was head knowledge, but it it um it, and and some of it was good. Some of it was basic principles, but it just it didn't meet reality, and it didn't. I think more importantly, recognize what actually makes a true leader. What uh, things that really can't be artificially produced, things that can't be, they, they, things that take time and experience and challenge to develop, which is all leadership has to go through this. So, um, so it's not, it's not a certificate you get because you wrote a few papers or read a few books. It, it's something that with time and experience and the recognition of others, you gain. So there are many arenas in which, uh, someone, I think can, can quickly shape material to make a product. We just talked about a car. Um, but leadership is about pers uh, less about personality and more about character proven through experience. And that, that's sort of my working definition. It's character proven through experience. During my church planning assessment, we formed these teams uh, to, to watch who would be the leaders. And there is some wisdom, I think, in that, but it neglects the bigger picture. In one snapshot moment during a morning of exercises, a whole denomination now is evaluating whether to fund future potential church planners. And I assume and hope that if I continued the process, they would eventually require me to supply them with character references and maybe some experience, uh, professional experience, but that was not the determinative factor on the front end. So it shows where the priority is. I'm not saying you can't look at personality, but it shouldn't be the only thing that you're looking at or the main thing that you're looking at. Because uh, there's there's other things that are more important. So um, I also see um, a, a similar approach in youth groups where high schoolers are told that they would be good for future ministry positions based on what? Whether they're popular in the youth group. Uh, they have, they're a leader. The other kids look to them. They're, they're popular. Hey, maybe you'd be a good pastor. And I wonder if some of this is traceable to the way that neo-evangelicals, and we're kind of in that stream in some ways, I suppose, prioritize social acceptance. Uh, Carl Henry, who was the founder of New Evangelicalism, wrote in 1947 that great nations are keyed to powerful leaders. He imagined a statesman with the convictions of Paul who would echo the great evangelical affirmations throughout world politics. And in order to see such leaders produced, Carl Henry proposed that Christians needed to start becoming experts in psychology and uh, all these other fields unrelated to theology, or at least not uh, directly related, perhaps, that... Uh, that they could become competent in, and then they'll gain the respect of the world, and then you can really drop them in anywhere, any, any city, uh, and they'll be leaders there. They, they can be international leaders.
Um, that's just not the model we have, though, in Scripture. And so I think there's a much different way that Jesus chose the church's original leaders, the, the apostles. Uh, if we were going to go through, uh, which is not for today, but if we were going to go through a personality, not a personality, <laughs> catching myself here. If we were going to go through an assessment of the backgrounds of the different apostles, we would find a lot of diversity in that group. We would find educational diversity, political diversity to some extent. Obviously, none of them were like politically on the left like we think of the left today. But we, we would have people who would have been uh, you know, more favorable to the Romans, more favorable to... Uh, the, the Jewish uh, plight, I mean, all, all of them would, would have been, I guess, somewhat favorable or, or understanding of that. But, uh, but you had zealots, you had tax collectors, former tax collectors. Uh, you had people who um, had weaknesses even and different strengths and weaknesses and di different backgrounds as far as even their jobs, their professions. And yet Jesus calls this very diverse group together to be the 12 apostles, to be the leaders in his church. So on what basis does he do this? What does he say that prepares them? Well, I think his example and what he did applies to all of us because all of us, even if we're not apostles, are we're required to lead in some capacity. God calls all men to lead. Uh, that might just be in the home. You know, at the very least, it's in the home. But it may be on the workforce. It may be in the church. It may be in politics. It may, there, there's a whole host of ways that we lead. And God calls every man to do that. Doesn't mean that everyone's going to be the pastor of the church, but it means that um, at least in your home or whatever God has charged you with, you are a, lead, a leader in, in that space. So the leadership vacuum, I think we feel now, is in part because we're filling that vacuum with non-leaders. We're filling it with people who have personality traits. They might be affable or likable, but they're actually not leaders. They're not the kinds of uh, men that Christ would have picked to lead his church. Proverbs 11.4 says, uh, where there is no guidance, the people fall, but in abundance of counselors, there is victory. So that's what we're in right now. There's no guidance. And when there's no guidance, the people fall. Personality is not, not rich and deep enough to actually lead anything. Uh, and, and I don't want to pick on our president. Uh, it's so easy to do that, unfortunately. But we, you can look to the White House even to just look at what what this looks like. There is no guidance and the people fall. Um, so that's the situation we're in. Um, I have a number of scriptures I want to I get to, but one more just observation from uh, a secular source. Um, I don't know how many of you, ha, ha, actually, I'll just ask, have any of you ever read uh, Machiavelli's The Prince? <laughs> really? Okay. Um, so it, it, it's kind of, Machiavelli has a really bad rap, right? Because have you ever heard the term Machiavellian? That person's Machia Machiavellian. It's kind of like they're manipulative, they're cunning. Uh, they're, it, it's used more in the political sense of someone who knows the right way to wield power in, in such a way that they won't be challenged and they can hold on to it. And so anyway, Machiavelli wrote this book, The Prince, um, and, and a lot of it was his observations of what worked and didn't work with an occupying force coming into a country and taking it over. How, how can you hold that country? How can you hold on to power without losing it? And it's interesting because the situation he writes uh, about, this is in the, um, well, this was, this was a number of centuries ago now. I don't have the date right in front of me, but I, I think Machiavelli wrote uh, late, it um, would have been like 1500s, I think, uh, early 1500s. And he says this in his book, The Prince, 
he says it was necessary for the people of Israel uh, that they should be captive so as to make manifest the ability of Moses, that the Persians should be oppressed by the Medes, so as to discover the greatness of the soul of Cyrus, and that the Athenians should be dispersed to illustrate the capabilities of uh, Theseus. Uh, and, and he goes on, and, and he talks about these circumstances in history that, that show, that, that, that um, I guess, expose the great men who actually exist in that society. We can think of it today as wars, maybe, that we've gone through, or hard times. Uh, would we ever have known the abilities of a George Patton, right? Or you think of other famous generals, of a Ulysses S. Grant, or a Robert E. Lee, or a um, you know, an Eisenhower, any of these, Sergeant York, you know, we would never have heard of the name Alvin York, a World War I hero, if you haven't heard his name, unless he was actually in a situation where he had to lead. He was forced into it, and it showed that where he was responsible on the local level, he was now responsible in a wartime setting. And I, I think there's some, there, there's some truth to what Machiavelli is saying here in that there are great men, even in this room, I think even in our church, in our society, there are great men out there. There are men with character and ability, yet our, uh, is it set up, is our system set up to reward those kinds of masculine traits? Or have we decided to reward personality instead and affability and popularity and, and that kind of thing? That's a natural human tendency. You know, Saul was a foot higher, right? So everyone wanted Saul. But Saul probably Saul was not as good of a leader as David. And uh, and so when when going the going gets tough, as they say, the tough uh, get going. So I think right now, this is kind of my my call, I guess, is that we are in a situation where things are getting tougher. Jim Zeger talked about it in the sermon that, that it seems like we're being closed in on by the world. And People, especially Christians, and, and even just people who have Christian values, they may not even be born again, but they just know boys can't be girls, right? They're looking for a champion. They're looking for someone to stand up. I mean, if you, you think about it, like uh, Joe Rogan, Bill Maher, um, you know, uh, Jordan Peterson. Uh, I mean, these guys, the, the, all the young men are love these guys, the young conservative men and, and Christians. And they're not Christians. I mean, Jordan Peterson, I guess, has a sort of a, I don't know what he is, but he's got some somewhat of a Christian background. But he's not born again, at least at this point, from what I understand. Um, you know, Elon Musk, I mean, are these really, what, what do those guys have in common, though? They all, at a certain point, said enough is enough. And I'm willing to sacrifice because I, I don't think, you know, in case of Elon Musk, we'll say, uh, I, I, I think we should have some freedom of speech. I think that conservatives and Christians should be able to make their opinion known and not be punished for it. I'm going to buy Twitter. I'm going to take all the, the blame and, and the castigation I get. So Elon Musk is, is no, I mean, there's, there's videos that he has out there that I think are downright scary about putting brain chips, you know, chips in your brain. And, and I mean, there, there's, but he took this one stand and for that he is admired, right? Um, I think that there, there's a time that's coming, and maybe it's already here, when people, they're already looking for leaders, but they're going to hopefully start to recognize some of these men are in the church. And, that, and that's where the strongest leaders are going to come from. We know this. These are the men's most rooted in reality, grounded in truth, grounded in God's word. So um, hopefully this will inspire you somewhat.
Uh, I have a few things, uh, prerequisites first, but before we can even talk about um, being a leader and the ingredients uh, to be a leader, we got to talk about what kind of person is recognized during these hard times. So there's there's three major things in my mind. There's first a, uh, you have to be a male. <laughs> so I, I, you know, a few, few decades ago, you wouldn't have had to say that, but now, now I think- Real male. A real male. Now, now- Again, I don't think there, you don't have to be perfect. I don't think, um, I think there are situations like Deborah where the Lord shames the men. And, and, and you know what? Is it wrong for Deborah to rise up and, and take the place of Barak if he's not willing to lead, as the story goes? No. I mean, it's, it, it, is it her place? No. It's to the shame of the men. And I believe that's the case. But, but it should be a male. God designed men to lead. He, he gave us uh, this ability. He gave us more of an aggression. That's what, I mean, testosterone <laughs> is, and at least part of it. He gave us uh, uh, the dominion mandate to go out and uh, keep and cultivate the, the earth, to subdue it, to provide and protect. That's right. Uh, it, it's, it's a male's responsibility to manage his family, to... Um, and of course, the, the female as, as is the helpmate in a marriage re relationship, and and so this is this is the from the beginning. So so we're already in good company here. Everyone in here, I think, can check that box, right? I hope everyone can check that box. You're a male. Um, the second one, and I want to spend a longer time here, is you have to have the character to be a leader. Uh, and so and so and this third one, just a preview, is willingness. You have to be willing. But character, uh, there's a number of things you could say about this. Um, you have to have responsibility, so the right order of priorities. Uh, last week in the sermon, I talked about what's called the order amoris, but it just means the right order of love. Augustine talked about this. This, and it's very simple. It's proximity and obligation. You have more uh, of an uh, of an obligation to love those to whom God has given you a responsibility toward, and those who are closest to you. So that starts with your family, right, and it extends outward to your neighborhood. To uh, your church is, of course, part of an inner circle as well. So a man that takes his responsibility seriously uh, has good character. You, you love the right things. You love your wife, right? More than you love uh, another woman who's not your wife. I mean, these are pretty basic things, but, but it comes back to taking responsibility and, and having the right priorities. Um, there's an enemy of this, uh, having lower purposes. So the good is the enemy of the best. That's where a lot of pastors can get into this where let's say they get really involved in ministry, but what about their family, right? In the order of loves, the family, their family comes first and then their ministry. They're, they're, they can do both, but ministry is second. And so we have to realize that sometimes even the good things we do, we have to evaluate them and say, are they the best? Are they the best things? Because uh, it starts with the, the, if we are faithful in little, God will make us faithful in much. It starts with those, those basic things God has given us. Uh, we have to be trustworthy. That's part of character, right? Um, it used to be that over a period of time, living in the same area and intermarrying and sharing land, leaders were born organically. So you had a, Thomas Jefferson called this a natural aristocracy. Uh, so it's not manufactured. It just happens over time. You think about it. If you're in an agrarian context, this still exists. Uh, we trust that family because we've known them for generations. And we know that they're upstanding. They've raised their kids in upstanding ways. And uh, maybe they've intermarried with us. And we know we have a, a connection to them based on that. Um, we know that they treat their land and the land that we share in common well. 
And so who ends up getting elected mayor or town councilman or whatever? Well, it's the person who has been there. They, they, have, they have name recognition. That's what that means. That's, there's actually a good thing to that. It's not just, you know, the Kennedys and the Bushes. It's, it's actually, there, there's, uh, there should have been and, and should still be some name recognition that when you, uh, when, you know, when you see a Phelan or you see a Cologne or so, you know, oh, I know that family. I know, you know, they're, they're good. They're of good stock. That's what they used to say. Good stock. So leaders were um, cultivated. And the point I'm trying to make here is over the course of sometimes centuries we're talking about, but at least generations, that there's the recognition that it, it, this isn't an immediate thing, that trust has to be built. So they're trustworthy. Um, of course, you, you can have a terrible upbringing and still be a good leader. So I'm not saying you can't at all. I'm just saying that the, the normal course of events is that, um, that you, are, uh, you are known because of experience people have with you or things that are related to you to be trustworthy. Um, so it doesn't matter how many classes you take or certificates you have, it's experience. It's not perfection. Remember Peter, one of the apostles, he had a problem with this, with trustworthiness, right? He lied. He denied Christ. Uh, yet what was Peter's reaction to that? He repented of it. So if you have a problem with dishonesty, repentance is the correct answer for that. It's a direction. So, so I would, is Peter an honest person? I would say, actually, yes. Actually, he is an honest person. He, uh, he overcame those things. And, and Jesus, of, of course, uh, trained him in that and helped him in that. Proverbs uh, 25, 28 says, like a city that is broken into and without walls is a man who has no control over his spirit. So self-control is part of this. Um, I know Robert E. Lee has a famous quote where he says, I cannot trust a man to govern others who cannot govern himself. I think that's a fairly wise approach to life. And especially if you're a father looking at a young man who's going to date or marry your daughter, right? That's, that's something that you want to think about. Can you govern yourself? Do you have a job, right? That's like the first question, or do you have at least a plan to have a job? Exodus 18.21 says, Furthermore, you shall select out of all the people, able men who fear God, men of truth, those who hate dishonest gain, and you shall place these over them as leaders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. This is uh, the directions that Moses is given for picking leaders in the nation of Israel, political leaders really here. So these are able men. They have, a, they have certain ability and what? They fear the Lord. So there's character here. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Men of truth, they're honest. They hate dishonest gain. That's it. <laughs> That's what he says. He doesn't give you a whole long you know, list of virtues here. It's actually pretty basic stuff. Do you, do you take your responsibility seriously? Are you a man of your word? Uh, we don't have men like that in our political offices today. Not many, right? Um, I'm not saying you can't vote for someone who's uh, a defective because you are pursuing the best possible uh, you know, outcome. <laughs> but I, I can say, I think, honestly, since I've been alive in both political parties, we haven't had honest, responsible men put up for the presidency. Uh, so... And, and you can extrapolate this to sports stars or movie you know, actors or, or, or wherever you want to look. There's just, th this isn't the kind of thing that we're using to evaluate. Uh, here's another uh, passage for you. This is from Deuteronomy 17. Uh, you can probably turn there if you want, since this is uh, four verses. It's uh, Deuteronomy 17, uh, verses 16 through 20. These are, these are just some of the popular go-to leadership passages Deuteronomy 17, 16 through 20. Moreover, 
And it's talking about kings, okay? Kings of Israel. This is the law of God concerning the kings of Israel. He shall not multiply horses for himself, nor shall he cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses, since the Lord has said to you, you shall never again return that way. He shall not multiply wives for himself, or else his heart will turn away. Nor shall he greatly increase silver and gold for himself. Now it shall come about when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself a copy of this law on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priests. It shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by carefully observing the words of his law and these statutes, and that his heart may not be lifted up above his countrymen, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right or the left, so that he and his sons may continue long in this kingdom in the midst of Israel. And make sure he has a good personality. Oh, wait, no, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. Uh, it just says that he is supposed to value what? The word of God. He's so, so much so that he has a copy that he made himself. Every day he's marinating in this. Uh, that's what makes a good leader. I mean, you, you get a little clue here. God said that you can't have a king unless he what? Uh, unless he's about me, not himself. That's the first part of this. He's not trying to multiply horses and wives. He's not trying to give all the glory to himself and thinking about his own image and his own success. He is about a higher purpose, and that's achieving the, the purposes that God has for him. So, so, so leaders are, look beyond themselves uh, for the good of the people that they govern, for the, um, the God that they serve. Um, in fact, it just came to mind, in our country, we, what do we do when someone gets elected to a position? We have an oath of office. They put their hand on a Bible. That's good luck. Yeah. <laughs> I know. It's, it's an archaic thing, maybe, but we still do it. And that person who puts the hand on the Bible is promising, swearing, actually, an oath before God, that if they fail to carry out their duty, they have to answer to who? To God. Because they're above, if they're in a government office, let's say, if they're the president, they're, nothing's going to happen to them. Well, until Trump now, who knows? <laughs> this analogy is not working as well anymore. But, uh, but in general, you get away with stuff, right? You're not, going to, um, you're not going to be punished for things that you did that are wrong. So what's the assumption here? God is going to hold you accountable and recognize that. You want someone who recognizes that. From the beginning. So we have this worked into our, our legal system even now that we expect our leaders to honor God, to put their hand on a Bible. Uh, Matthew 20, 25 through 28 uh, says this. This is leadership again with the apostles. Um, he says, uh, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. That's Jesus's leadership teaching to his apostles. He's saying that there is a model out there the Gentiles use, and they, they, they boss people around. They lord it over them. They, they, uh, you see this in the military, actually, a lot, from what I've talked to people who are in the military who told me this. Sometimes men um, will rise to a a competency level that they are not prepared for. They have a rank and they, they don't have the experience or the character that comes with it. Uh, we see this on jobs too, where people, uh, there's actually a principle called the Peter principle. 
which says that you rise to your level of incompetence and that this is basically what all corporate uh, America and, and I guess the rest of the world, this is what they, they have because you, you prove yourself capable until that one next promotion. And then you get that promotion and you're stuck because you can't go up anymore because people recognize he doesn't know what he's doing, but they can't demote you because you've already put in so much, you've risen to that rank. So, so this is called the Peter Principle. But, um, but the idea here is that, uh, uh, the idea that Jesus is conveying is that you need to look beyond yourself to the bigger picture. Who's under you? Um, how can you serve them? How can you, you sacrifice for them if necessary? That's what Jesus ended up doing. He sacrificed. So it is going to take work. It's not Being a leader is not a glamorous thing that uh, you aspire to because you really want all the recognition and the, the money or whatever else, the prestige that comes with it. It's actually a service. We even still sometimes call politicians public servants because of that. They're servants. So, that, so that's another um, uh, principle having to do with character there, or at least it, I think it, it evidences the character one already has. If they're serving others, if they care about others, then they're equipped to lead. And people actually trust them. That's how you build trust, because they know that, that guy has my best interests in mind. I trust him. He's not just using me for his own gain. That's a good way to break trust, and, and, and you're not a leader at that point, and at least you're not a good one. Um, here's another one from first Timothy, uh, chapter three, verses one through seven. Uh, it is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with dignity. If a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a new convert, so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation, listen to this, with those outside the church, so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. So this is the requirements for elders. Same thing, it's character. These can all be summed up with character, responsibility. Uh, inside the church, outside the church. I mean, why do you think it says outside the church here too? It's because you can have people in the church who fake it. It's easy to fake it on a Sunday. Let's see, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Sunday morning. If I can just fake it those three times, then you can gain people's trust. They think that you're trustworthy when you're not. If you have a good reputation with those outside that you share daily life with, even if they're not believers, it, sh it proves your character. It shows that you're, you are who you say you are, right? First uh, Peter uh, chapter 5, uh, 2 through three, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. So again, not about yourself, uh, you're about others and you're, you're, you're an example to them. They can look up to you. That's a leader, someone you look up to. You strive to be like them because they have good character. Um, Acts 20, 28, just a few more verses here. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So the shepherd analogy used here is that uh, the shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So he's willing to sacrifice and put his own life on the line if a wolf comes. 
And, and, and so that, that's what a leader is. That's, that's the example that we have in Christ. So, the, so character, uh, so be a male, have character. The other thing is just to be willing. Um, Chronicles uh, 12, 32, 1 Chronicles 12, 32 says, Of the sons of Issachar, uh, men who understood the times with the knowledge of what Israel should do, their chiefs were 200 and all their kinsmen were all were at their command. And that's really all we know about the sons of Issachar. But these were men that were marked out and noticed because they knew, they understood the times and they knew what Israel should do. That's a leader. They, they have a direction. They have a goal. Um, they were willing to do it. Uh, there are exceptions or, or not exceptions, but there, it doesn't mean perfection. And I, I feel like I have to emphasize this because Gideon's an example of someone who's pretty reluctant. <laughs> if you read the story of Gideon, he did not want to, I mean, Moses is the same way, right? He's trying to give every excuse for why he can't go to Pharaoh. And God uses him anyway. Um, and, and he grows into the role. And many men are like that. The, the, the situation comes and you must rise to the occasion. Sometimes you have no option. How many fathers, they have a kid and they don't, they, they weren't ready for that. Well, now guess what? They have to rise to the occasion. So it's the same thing. Um, it's God will equip those who are humble before him and including Gideon. He, he produces the willingness in you. The willingness comes sometimes and follows the responsibility, but there needs to be a willingness. If you're not willing at all, if you never grow into willingness, you will not leave. It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do, right? First Timothy three, one, he desires to do it. So it's something he wants. So th those are the, um, the prereqs. Now the qualities, this, this is going to be uh, shorter here. Um, I, I broke it down into, and I've tried to break it down into the smallest parts here. So that'd be memorable, but I think there's three main things that a leader has. So, so, so you have, first of all, you have that character, right? We just talked about, you have your male and you also have, um, a willingness when you step into the role of leadership, though, you have a function that you're performing, whether that's leadership in the home in the church in business, wherever you, you have to be a visionary, you have to be brave and you have to be confident. These are the three things that you have to, to, to be. So visionary means reaching for a higher purpose. Uh, we, we've mentioned this already briefly. You have to have a, a greater mindset than just your own comfort and your own love for yourself and the things that you, you know, I enjoy, I enjoy eating candy and watching television sometimes, especially on a Sunday night. That's when my wife and I, we have a show we're watching right now uh, that we, we really enjoy. It's like a murder mystery thing. I never thought I'd get into that stuff, but now I'm married and I'm into it, I guess. So we even discuss sometimes, you know, who do you think really did it? And, uh, but I mean, that's, that's, that's good. We should all have that. We should have fellowship with our wives. Obviously, if I lived for that, if I was just in media though, every day and just really a couch potato or something, right. Surfing the channels, whatever that would disqualify me. Even if I was in a leadership role, I, I wouldn't be reaching for a higher purpose. I, and, and a lot of people are like this. They make their job or whatever they do, even if it's ministry serve that end. Their, their selfish ends. So they go to church and they go, go to work and they do things so that they can then fund or at least uh, uh, fulfill some kind of a respect they want to have so that they can go home and they do what they really want, right? That's backwards. That's, that's, not, that's not, you are fulfilling a, your important role, your telos, your purpose when you're in the position of leading. 
you are, you're looking beyond for something bigger than yourself, something transcendent, and you're reaching for it and you're inspiring others to hit it as well. So if it's, it's, it's something like becoming godly in Christ in the church setting, you're reaching for godliness and you're inspiring others to come along with you and reach for godliness. If it's in the job setting, you, know, you might even have practical goals. This month we want to sell this much. You're reaching for it. It's beyond you. You sacrifice yourself for the, the cause. There's a poll recently I saw something like, I think it was like 30% of Gen Z would be willing to fight for their country in the United States. It was that low. Well, that used to be about 100%. I mean, that used to be, it was assumed you fight for your country. If they, and, the, and the scenario was you're invaded. So you're invaded, you fight, right? Uh, because you believe in something outside yourself, something bigger, something that you were put here to defend. Um, that's leadership. So being a visionary is the first thing. Um, does, and this isn't a personality type, by the way. There are guys who... Some, some would say, oh, they, they're more of a visionary in a personality kind of way. They can inspire people. Sure, there are personalities that maybe can, I don't know, uh, help. Uh, I mean, if you're affable, people will follow you more. But, but the thing is, it's not actually a personality type. You can be, you can be dull. <laughs> but if you believe in something beyond yourself and you're striving for it, people will follow that. Brave, that's the second thing. Um, sacrificing for a higher purpose because, uh, th and this is really what proves that that purpose is valuable. It's one thing to strive for a higher purpose, but not be willing to sacrifice for it. It's not much of a striving, but to say, you know, I really love the people of the world and wish they could all be fed. So you never do anything about it, right? That's virtue signaling. And we see that all the time. Someone who's brave sacrifices for that higher purpose. And of course, the opposite of this is being timid, being a people pleaser, thinking always about what do people think of me? Uh, what's my reputation like out, out there? Someone who's brave says, I don't care. I don't care what people say about me. Uh, I, don't, I don't care. I'll, take, I'll sacrifice whatever it is to, for the higher purpose uh, that I have. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. It's using the shepherd imagery here again and talking about the higher purpose. Uh, that leaders have. Um, James 3.1 says, Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. So take inventory, right? Before leading anything, uh, especially in the church, there's, you're going to be held accountable for the decisions you make. That takes some guts. To put yourself on the line like that, that takes some real guts. Uh, Act 20, 28 says, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among uh, which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So you're putting your life on the line as a shepherd does. I remember there's a, I don't remember what movie it was from. There's an old uh, John Wayne quote though, where not, and I'm not saying he's the paradigm of what it means to be a man, but there was a quote though, um, where he said, courage is being scared to death, but saddling up anyway. And for some reason, that stuck with me. I don't remember what movie. Maybe someone knows what movie that is. But, he, but he's basically saying, look, that's, that's bravery. When, you're, when you know that there's danger, and you do it anyway because you, you're doing it for the people you love, for the, the purposes that, that God has for you or the purposes that you know you're responsible for. All right, the third and last thing here is um, confidence. So you believe in that higher purpose. So you, it's not just that you're striving for it, that you're willing to sacrifice for it, but you actually believe in it. It's, you know it's not a fairy tale. You know it's true. 
um, the, the, the flip side of this is vanity. So being very success driven, uh, self-focused that I want all these accolades. I want people to know who I am. I want to be successful in, in a worldly sense. Uh, you have to sacrifice that for believing in a higher purpose. Philippians 2.3 says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. And of course, he follows that up. We read it last week in the service uh, with the example of Christ and what Christ did on our behalf. All right, so in closing here, so I've been going a little over 40 minutes, um, just, just some bonus wisdom, I, I suppose, here. Second uh, Chronicles chapter 1, verses 10 through 12 is... Uh, is the story of, of Solomon when he uh, prays to the Lord for wisdom. And it says, the Lord give, gave him wisdom. Um, God said to Solomon, because you had this in mind, and did not ask for riches, wealth, or honor, or the life of those who hate you. <laughs> these, are the, these are all the things every man, like, what do I want in life? Well, let's see, riches, wealth, honor, the life of those who hate me. It sounds pretty good, right? It's another Conan Barbarian quote about that. It's like success is to make your enemies weep or something. I don't remember. Yeah, I, I'm not good with the movie references today, but. Uh, success, things, things along those lines that you hear all the time. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the common thing, but, but the Lord commends Solomon. He says, Solomon didn't ask for any of this. Uh, you ask for wisdoms, um, nor have you asked for a long life, but you have asked for yourself wisdom and knowledge that you may rule my people over whom I have made you king. Wisdom and knowledge have been granted to you. I will give you riches, wealth, and honor, such as none of the kings who were before you had possessed. So, so here's the interesting formula here. Uh, and this is the same thing Jesus says about those who shall be last will be uh, first, first will be last. Uh, with, so so in, in not striving for riches, what did Solomon get? Riches, right? Same in, with Jesus, right? I mean, Jesus is exalted at the right hand of the Father. Why? Because he humbled himself, became a slave. It's, it's weird how that works. It's kind of, it, it seems against everything that we're told in leadership training in a secular environment. It's against every. We're told to strive for success, to achieve. I remember this from even just being a furniture repairman, which you wouldn't think would be prestigious, but we have these completion rates and we had to do well. And um, we had these, you know, breakfasts where they'd honor the person who, you know, employee of the month, whatever. And I just remember, man, I, I remember this one time, I, uh, I, I had the highest completion rate, but I had a, I forget what it was. Um, I got a ticket or something, you know, and I was driving. And I didn't know that that disqualified me from getting the prize. So I go to the, the dinner where they're going to honor everyone. And I'm, 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 I'm actually, I'm literally sitting there. I'm just like, I'm ready. I'm making sure my collar's good. I'm like, I'm going to walk up in front of everyone. They're going to say, John Harris, our star tech of the month. And when they, and as I'm about to get up, they announce someone else's name. And I, <laughs> right. Well, I found out later, you know, because I, I, I came to my boss and I was like, what happened? And she, and she said, no, you had the highest completion rate, but you can't get a ticket. I said, oh. So I was so disappointed in that, right? We've probably all been there at some point where we thought we deserve something and we didn't get it. I don't know why I told that story, but um, that, that's the, the way that I think uh, the world looks at success. They try better next time, achieve, climb that ladder. And, and that's the goal in life. And then eventually you retire with a good pension, I guess. And, and then you die eventually, but you enjoy those last few remaining years. It seems kind of dumb, doesn't it? Um, 
12 in already. You do? <laughs> so, I mean, it, it, it can serve a higher purpose, but if, you're, if that's all you're living for, that's, that's a pretty dismal existence. Yeah. It's a pretty bad life. Um, you, nothing beyond you, you just die. And that's, I mean, no, in a hundred years, is anyone going to remember John Harris was the top tech at Raymore and Flanagan in 2000, whatever? John yeah. yeah. It, it doesn't matter. Um, is God going to look at that as, I mean, maybe, maybe God will see that I was responsible in something little, which is, which is meaningful, but, but, th but that's the only, if I did it for the right reasons, that's really the only thing that I guess makes it count for eternity. So, um, so, so anyway, the, the bonus here is to lead well. These are all the, the things that are required to be a leader, character things. But to lead well does require wisdom. And wisdom comes with experience. Uh, of course, God can give you wisdom, like he gave Solomon, but we, we find wisdom in his word. That's where we go. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So it starts with the fear of the Lord. And from there, we build out our wisdom. We know how to approach situations. Uh, and those situations are becoming more challenging today. So how do you get there? How do you become a leader? Um, coming full circle now. Is it uh, a personality test that you take and then you're told where you fit? Or is it something else? Um, in Scripture, this is the model we're given. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1 says, Be imitators of me just as I am of Christ. Philippians 3, 17 says, Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. And then finally, Hebrews 13, 7 says, Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. All three of these passages say basically the same thing, which is find someone who's already a leader and follow their example. It's, that's, that's the exact pattern Jesus had with his disciples. He took all these people from various backgrounds, cultural backgrounds, political backgrounds, business backgrounds, and then he said, follow me. That, that was it. There was nothing else. Just become like me. I'm the pattern. Watch me live and do what I do. And, and, and as he was doing it, he taught them the proper motivation for doing what he did. But that, that's it. That's all it comes down to. So, so my challenge would be, uh, I guess for all of us, is Look for someone in this church or someone tangibly that you know of, or even someone from history. If it's got to be an example from history, I tend to, uh, I really like Eric Little. He's one of my heroes, right? Um, I, I get in trouble now for liking Robert E. Lee, but he was, I've read probably more books about Robert E. Lee than anyone else. And it's not because uh, of anything other than the fact that he was such a godly Christian man and, and the way that he led was amazing. But Eric Little, I mean, he died in a prison camp. And in a horrible situation, separated from his family, not even, he knew he had a daughter he hadn't even met. And yet he was cheerful. He was, um, it's an amazing story if you get to read. Uh, there's a book by Duncan Hamilton, I think, called For the Glory about Eric Little. But these are my heroes from history. I have my heroes in the Bible, right? Paul is a hero of mine. David is a hero of mine. Uh, Moses is a hero. Um, I really like, I like Gideon, right? These are all men that, uh, um, that I look to. And then, of course, there's people, uh, I'm just being personal for myself, there's people in my own life today. Um, I have my own dad, fortunately. And I'm, not everyone has that, but but the Lord, you know, blessed me in that way that I, I can look to him. I can look to, um, I can look to men in this church. I mean, I look up to many of you even in this room and men that I've grown up with and that I've been able to watch over the course of decades. And and it's really, it takes that long sometimes to really get to know someone, to see them in challenging situations. I mean, I don't know how many 
um, church-related issues that I've seen you go through, Ed, with uh, just controversies. And, and that builds trust over time. Even though I'm a little kid watching some of this stuff because I'm not intimately involved and my parents are more involved, but, but I hear things. And, and even if they try to keep me from hearing things as a kid, I knew where to go to put my ear to the door, you know, so I, I knew what was going on. Um, but but that, it, 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 that builds trust over time, knowing, okay, that, that Ed Cologne, um, as a little kid, it was just he, he loves my family. But as I grew older, he loves the Lord. He loves the Lord, and he's, he's going to do the right thing no matter what it does for him. So, so I would just challenge everyone, look for the heroes around you. Uh, the leaders around you, that you can strive to be like them. And in so doing, you become a leader yourself. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for three forty nine dollars a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.